Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. The digital human explores our sometimes troubled relationship with technology and how it's changing our lives. In each episode, a one-word topic, for example, echo, secrets, memory, isolation, chance, gets explored. And its host, the writer and academic Alex Krotowski, weaves together personal stories, history and analysis with a smart script. And make no mistake, it's us humans, our stories, our quirks, our behaviour that takes centre stage and not the technology. The show also likes making surprising connections between seemingly unrelated things. Friction looks at what could be lost in our seemingly endless quest for a carefree, frictionless life, starting on a rock face with someone who relies on friction pretty heavily to stay alive, mountaineer Andy Kirkpatrick. Climbers are always uh, focused on the the most friction you can get from the rock because they're using their feet and their hands to climb up the rock. Yeah, without friction, you're out of there. Once you feel what you're actually trying to do, you just engage with it second by second by second rather than looking up at this thing that's like a 1,000 metres high and just contemplating the whole height of it. The bigger the drop, the bigger the thrill. Maybe it's like knitting or something. I don't know. Like, you're not thinking about the whole jumper, you're just thinking about the, the stitch or something. In praise of friction. For the rest of us, the friction in our lives comes from all of those little pain points in our day. Those stupid, menial tasks that seem like a waste of our precious time. You know, the ones that we do everything we can to eliminate so we can get what we want when we want it. Like a pizza. Or something tasty from the posh restaurant downstairs. Last night when I was working, I did a delivery where I didn't even have to leave the building because the customer lived above the restaurant in a flat. So people are fine to order and have me, like, walk about 30 seconds and deliver it. Now that person has a low tolerance for friction. You know, the idea of frictionlessness, because it's coming from a very kind of, you know, a technological perspective. If we can take away the friction then everybody's life will be better. It doesn't consider the idea that, you know, there are times where we need a lot of friction. To stop, pause, reflect, grow, have an epiphany. And it's that balance we're looking for in this episode. I am conflicted about giving myself over to this modern frictionless lifestyle. It's tricky, especially when you live with somebody who is all in for the promise of this digital utopia. At home, we have phone-controlled door locks, voice-activated lights, apps that serve only one need to deliver pizza, apps for college students to come and get my post, to come and put things into storage, and then to bring them back out again. But I have a nagging feeling that by using them, I may be losing out on something I can't quite put my finger on. Follow and comment on the program with the hashtag DigiHuman. The lifestyle we're talking about is characterized by hyper-efficiency, and like the tools that we use to achieve it, it originated in Silicon Valley, but it has been exported all over the world. 
efficiency is the worship word for Silicon Valley culture. It is the organizing principle by which people rationalize and presumably organize their lives. Jan English Lewick is professor of anthropology at San Jose State University. Efficiency in eating, efficiency in the way you move people around in families. When I followed a working family, one of the things that really struck me is children would be stationed at particular points. So the least amount of time would be spent with uh, exit and entrance. So one of the things I've been thinking about Silicon Valley for a long time is that it's a kind of bellwether. It's an early warning signal. They've exported the technologies that they developed, imagining those are what improves quality of life. And as those technologies have been exported into people's lives, it just takes over. It's just that those tools are so damn seductive. So even if you're not one of the elites that are crafting our digital futures, you can pretend to be carried aloft on a digital cushion by a virtual entourage. Well, as long as you can shout at Alexa or whatever digital personal assistant of your choice to order another jar of chocolate spread. You know, the sort of things that our parents used to take care of? My name is Omer Huck. I've been an economist. I've been in advertising. You know, one of the things that has become very obvious over the last few years is that, you know, a huge amount of money is pouring in to what many people will call kind of I want my mommy apps. They replace the things that uh, a very coddled uh, frat boy here in the States would like to have provided for him, right? So the things that will kind of do your laundry or deliver your food or, you know, even get you a date. You know, the question is, you know, does that kind of reduce us to an almost infantile state, right? Because the point of an infantile state is to pursue that kind of instant gratification, right? Baby wants his bottle, baby wants his blankie, baby wants his pacifier. And as long as we can satisfy those appetites at the lowest cost, then we have served the greater good. Oh, for heaven's sake, give me a break, Umer. I'm just trying to get through my day friction from the digital human. Meanwhile, Sin Eaters looks at the life of the content moderator. They're the people responsible for looking at some of the most horrible stuff on the internet, so we don't have to. This is academic Sarah Roberts from UCLA, who's been studying these undervalued jobs for about the past eight years. I started asking people around me, hey, have you ever heard of this? And that included people who were specialists in internet studies. Each one said, No, I never thought of that. Don't computers do that? Even today, these are issues that cannot just be programmed away. Whatever you might have heard, artificial intelligence is nowhere near being able to understand what might make a comment hate speech or an image distressing. It takes human decisions. Even when those decisions are at scale, And when they're under extreme pressure of productivity metrics that speed them up almost, but not quite, to the point of it seeming like an automated process. We had a quota. We had to oftentimes go through at least 1,200 images a day. A lot of the accounts that are sharing these images, they're all getting them from the dark web because you see the same images over and over and over again. Everybody was kind of missing this issue, but it became clear to me that that was a bit by design. Those platforms that required this kind of adjudication were loath to discuss it. 
There are a couple of reasons why this is the case. First, platforms don't want their upstanding digital citizens to know about the filth that they accidentally host by dint of their success. Second, even hinting at a filtering process is like a red rag to the people who would delight in circumventing it. But what it also does is leave those striving away in the shadows largely unacknowledged and certainly underappreciated. The very first content moderator I ever interviewed, she described herself as a sin eater. You know, the notion of eating the sin in that case really went a bit beyond metaphor for her in the sense that in in deleting these comments or in adjudicating them in any kind of way was to also receive them and also to take them on board. We've mentioned sin eaters several times already in this program, but we might be making an assumption about your knowledge. Okay, so what was sin eating? And as we are predicating our entire thesis on a comparison between then and now, who were the people who did it? I'm Dr. Helen Frisbee of the Folklore Society. When a person had died, relatives would get in a, a professional sin eater and the sin eater would receive some bread and quite often salt and also sometimes drink over the body and then symbolically ingest the sins of the dead person. They would be paid a small amount for this service and then having been relieved of their sins, the, the dead person could then go on comfortably into the afterlife. And what thanks did they get? I think they would have had a very ambivalent relationship with the communities they served. That, that, that's very much the case, I think, with, with all occupations where somebody has been paid to take on that sort of social and moral and emotional baggage that, that all societies have. We don't like them, but we can't live without them. Oftentimes out at lunch, you'd see people kind of like glance at your badge. It's a thing in Silicon Valley is every company has badges to get in. And ours were a separate color and you would see people look at the color and then walk away. Oh, they also, uh, we had our desks sort of surrounded by bushes at one point so that no one could see our screens. I'd say we, we were bottom of the pile in the Bay Area. From what we know of the Sin Eaters, they would have lived on the margins of the community um, and they were often recorded as being poor, often disreputable. And I think there are some interesting questions in there about whether people become sin eaters because they're poor and they need to make a living or whether it's something people actively choose to become. And I think the answer is probably a bit of both in there. Content moderation has typically been thought of as less important, something of an afterthought uh, vis-a-vis the other primary goals of platforms to roll out the latest technology and the best functionality. All you have to do is think about the headlines, the outrage when just one little thing slips through the net. A beheading video, an image of exploitation, abuse of any kind. Their job is vital, but we treat them like second-class citizens. Sin Eaters from the BBC's The Digital Human, presented by Alex Krotoski and produced by Peter McManus for the BBC. And thanks to Kate Bissell for her help. I've also enjoyed episodes recently called Silence, Unnoticed and Shame, if you want to check those out. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast from RNZ. And finally, a plea. Now, I don't want any of your money. It's just that at the moment on my podcast app, you have to put RNZ colon the podcast hour exactly like that before we pop up. So if you're enjoying the podcast hour, if it's helping you find new stuff to listen to, please do consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. Hopefully that way more people can find us more easily. We don't need to put any colons anywhere. Thank you. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.